fuck are you? The thing from Fantastic Four? Like what? <laughs> it's what, you made? What, what, what is your bone density made of? Concrete? Like what the? Like who does that? Who who walks into a fucking bus mirror, shatters and bends it like a transit bus? Walk yeah. away from it and go. Sorry, hey, I might need some medical attention. Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know, the stories you want to hear. Today, I'm joined by one of my other good besties uh, traveling in the dance acting world. He has been seen in commercials like Old Navy, Jack in the Box, Nissan. He's been uh, guesting on TV shows like House and Grey's Anatomy. He was the monster in the web series uh, Dr. Frankenstein, M.D., uh, he has, he was just on tour on the national tour of frozen, the musical. He's now doing the international leg of, uh, the frozen tour in Singapore. He is a fourth degree black belt martial artist, and he's cracked his skull 10 times the fudge dude. So please give a warm welcome to the brawn to my brain, the yin to my yang, the upper body to my lower body, the E to my G. Welcome Evan Strand in the house. Hey, hey. What up, dude? Hey, Gamble. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Um, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> good. So you're in Singapore. I am. Uh, how's it in Singapore? It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's busy. I, I find myself not going out very much because as you know i i do enjoy the outdoors um and it's mostly city here i have a hard time just being in the city but that's okay yeah there's good stuff here the uh the buildings is as mighty and as pleasant um plentiful as they are the, the country has done a very good job of integrating um nature into them Mm-hmm. And that was oh that was what I wanted to tell you was what's really interesting to me is that even with all the um, trees and everything built into the structures of the buildings with um, just uh, balconies and treetop areas like on top of the skyscrapers, mm-hmm. all of the plants are owned by the government because Singapore does not export anything. Everything is imported. They don't produce any of their own natural anything, anything. Yeah, it's bizarre. So like almost all of the trees in Singapore are imported from Africa. Yeah. What? So and this is why I would not do well here, because you're not kids are not allowed to climb trees or play on any of the trees or anything like that. It's, It's against the law. Because all of it is is government property, so kids don't play like that. You can't climb a tree. Okay, so I am privy to information that we've talked about that there's also a strange lack of uh, fauna, like animals. Yeah. What? I am so confused on how very, very, very few, very few, like what you wouldn't really think about roaming around. There are no squirrels, no pigeons, no, no seagulls. You know, there's a crow here and there. Um, I guess maybe they're magpies, but 
somebody did see a little family of otters by the water. But beyond that, it, it's eerily quiet. Were the otters also imported? Because, like, that's my thing. How You don't produce right? anything. Everything is imported. And then you have no wildlife. And your, yeah. quote, unquote, natural habitat is owned by the government. So yeah. how that's I think that's yeah. even worse than living you know, in Manhattan. Manhattan. What's that? It's very much it's a lot cleaner than Manhattan though. Yeah. <laughs> what I what I meant was just the concrete <laughs> jungle as we call it in, in English. Like yeah. that just Yeah. I cannot imagine yeah. like I grew up in major cities my entire life, but we all have parks. Like we like you can kids go climb and like you go in the forest. You I go mean, like there, there are some parks. I, I was up on the roof here, up on the 51st floor, and this is one of the taller buildings. Mm -hmm. um, so I was able to see quite a bit. And there was a park across the river that had some people playing soccer, and I really wanted to go play, but that's all right. Okay. Um, <laughs> so they, they do have activities there, but it's very adult. Everything is very adult here. Mm. And it's not my favorite, but that's okay. Are there... <laughs> And in, in you're walking around. Do you see families with small children? Yes. Yeah, but it, it's, you know, thinking about it now, it's almost like they're not even there. Mm. Interesting. And kids are very, kids are very seen and not heard here in Singapore. Interesting. Because that's also, and you know, looking at a lot of the travel brochures for Singapore, like the advertising, the tourism advertising that you see for Singapore, like, I don't, I don't think I've ever recalled seeing a family like high yeah. I mean, there's definitely kids. You do see them. They're yeah. all over the place. Um, and Singapore <laughs> is a very, is a very big family structure. Okay. Um, and, and as you mentioned, you know, I, I, I'm not with the American tour here. I'm actually joining the Australian tour, uh, while we're out here because their, their typical tour will usually tack on the, uh, the Singapore engagement for two months or a couple months um, after they're finished with the Australian uh, section of it all. Mm -hmm. And they, they were talking about how the show the shows here are later, they're at 8 o'clock, rather than the 7.30, even 7 o'clock call time mm -hmm. or, or show start time that they, they used to do. And in Australia, you go to work, you get, you, you're done with work. If you're going to the show, you join your mates, you grab a beer, and then you hit the show. You never go home. Whereas in Singapore, that's unheard of. After you're done with work, you go home, you have family time, and you have dinner. And there's nothing to disrupt that. And that's that's amongst everyone around. And then you go out if you want to go out. So we got, you know, we got eight o'clock shows that we finish around 10 20, 10 30. Yeah. During the week. But I don't know if it's the heat or what, but there's it, it's like it's it, it feels like it's like 6 30 7 o'clock at night when we start walking out around 11 and people are still out jogging out riding their bikes you know walking around just having a regular time at 11 o'clock at night 11 30 at night and i'm like this is that's interesting upside down <laughs> it's it's just it, you know it's it's evolved into a very um relaxed cultural feeling of it all my biggest question is because the singaporeans I think that's what you would call them anyway <laughs> um <laughs> they, they, they're they're 
from what I understand, are much more workaholics than even a lot of Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they'll they'll get to work by 7 a.m. and stay at work till 6 p.m. They have long days sometimes. They work hard. Um, and so, my, you know, there's part of me is like, when do you sleep? Right. So many people are up till 1130, 12 o'clock at night, and then they wake up at 536 o'clock to go to work. And I'm like, that's not enough for me. Uh, you know, maybe, me, I maybe sleep four hours. So. <laughs> well, yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's go back. We'll get to, we'll, we'll come back right. to Singapore because that's where we are now. <clears throat> you start, you grew up in Southern California in Huntington Beach. Yes. Um, what was that like? Um, interesting because I've never been a West Coaster, even though that's where I was born and raised and spent realistically all of my life in, in Southern California. Mm. Um, I can surf. It, I, I don't very much. Uh, I've always, I've always much, been much more attracted to the forests and mountains and going out hiking and uh, just, just being more in, in nature than any city or suburb. Um, I definitely consider myself a much more East Coast or even Midwest kind of guy. East Coast is the best coast. Evan is also, I'm just going to throw this out there. Evan is sort of like a male Snow White. He has lots of forest friends. <laughs> like hummingbirds come and sit on his porch with him while, like hummingbirds, like sit around him. Uh, yeah. I've yeah. saved quite a few. My, you know, my house of Pasadena has uh, these tall windows and hummingbirds, any bird will run into it pretty, pretty regularly, unfortunately. And I've been able to hear a lot of the hummers that it happens to. And they're small enough that it will sometimes like, it doesn't kill them, but it'll tweak their neck. So that mm-hmm. it kind of paralyzes them. And I've probably saved, I don't know, three or four hummers um, by just picking them up, massaging their neck. It pops back in place and they go, Oh shit. Oh, oh thanks man. And fly off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it was at sea ranch. You had like a deer or something just come and just chill and sit down while you were sitting on the porch or something like, it's that was actually in in um, um, Miyajima, Japan. Uh, yeah, yeah. This this the, the deer is known to be very nice there, though. But yes, yeah. That I named her Josephine. She was she was a sweet little deer. <laughs> so <laughs> so, Doctor Doolittle, <laughs> how did you get into? Yeah, uh, uh, so. Evan's uh, career started with dance, I'll say. Um, ballet uh, was yes. your foray into your now multi-platform career. How did you get into ballet? So well, growing up, I, my, you know, my parents put me into baseball and soccer at a, at a young age. Um, and I did that probably for two years before I started dancing. And I, I got into dance around seven years old. And simply my grandmother said you should dance i went okay sure and so our parents um got me and my brother into a jazz class and they were always adamant that we we stick to whatever we start we gotta we gotta you know work through it and Mm -hmm. if we don't like it at the end of it fine but we can't quit halfway through so we stuck through we got to the end we did the recital and everything and 
my parents asked my brother, they're like, did you enjoy it? Do you want to continue? He says, no, not no, but hell no. <laughs> they turned to me and they said, do you, what do you think? Do you like it? And he, you know, he's 15 months older than me and he was lanky. He was, he was a tall kid. At 12 years old, he was like six. He was a tall kid. Gene is what? He, six, he is eight? No, he's, he's six, six now. Oh, six, but, six, six, eight. Yeah, I know. At right? a certain point, it's still fucking tall. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas, and w- w- <laughs> Whereas at, at almost 16, I was still 4'11". <laughs> yeah, my, my freshman year of high school, I was 15. He was, uh, he, he would have been 17. I, or 16 and a half. I was 4'11". He was 6'4". <laughs> There's a picture that I just saw of them where they're sitting next to each other. And Evan has a long torso and Gene has long legs or yeah. And sitting next to each other, they look at the same height and then they stand up. Evan looks like a, like if I didn't know the family, I would think Evan was like four eleven still because he just looks that much shorter than his brother. Yeah. Well, he's got six inches on me. Uh, But anyway. Okay. Going back to ballet, my parents asked if I wanted to continue, and I said, "Yeah, this, this is fun. Um, you know, let's keep going." Um, so I did. So I just, you know, I, I did all three for a little while: baseball, soccer, and, and dancing. Ballet. Oh, that was that was the other thing. Once you know, we started with the jazz, and then after I said yes to continuing on, my director um, said, "Okay, we're going to get you in ballet." I went, "Well, what's that? What's ballet?" She just smiled and went, "Oh, you'll see." <laughs> Okay. Did sure. you prefer once you started taking ballet? Did you prefer the ballet over jazz or jazz over ballet? No, I, I once I really got into ballet, it, it very quickly became the love of my life. It, it's hmm. there's there's nothing that compares to ballet, not for me anyway. Yeah. Oh, what? Well, how was? How do I say? What is it that gives you so much love for ballet? It's the technical aspect of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's very physically demanding, but the availability to have some sort of uh, attainable perfection to it, and not that I'm a perfectionist by any means, but I do have, um, I do have a determination to be the best I can be for myself. A friend of mine said it the best: "I'm a neurotic overachiever." <laughs> and I thought that was absolutely perfect because it really hit the nail on the head. Yes, it does. <laughs> and yes, anyone it does. that knows me would go, huh, yeah, yeah, that, that sums it up pretty much correct. Yep, I agree. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So with, with that, I really enjoyed kind of understanding the dynamics of it and working through the positioning, the physicality, the strength of it all, and just continuing to improve with all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally getting to a point of, and th- this was actually after I kind of left ballet as a career path and got mm-hmm. more into my acting, I felt my ballet actually got a lot better because I was able to relax into it more. I, I found a much better subtlety for myself with it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I was, I was then able, I had, I had a little bit more freedom. I didn't, I didn't feel any pressure to, to get it right. I just went, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And then I could actually dance. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think truthfully, I think my, my dancing is better now than it ever was growing up because it has that artistry to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've talked about before that, um, I'm, I'm a very logical person. I really think yes. critically. I think logically. I'm very left brain, um, especially when figuring things out. I love mathematics. Um, I took the ASVAB, ASVAB test, as I told you that I, you know, I got lawyer and chemist as my top two. And then I think the third one was another STEM degree and all the other arts were way at the bottom. Um, and so having this, having this particular art form that allowed me to be very critical of the application and operation of it really flexed both sides of, of that for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, you know, that's, it's a lot of why I loved it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> there, there was so much in my career that until, until the age of about 17. So for about 10 years, it was, it, it's not that I didn't like ballet, but it was more of just I'm going because it's time to go. It's six thirty. Let's go. We have we have class to get to. Um, and it was it wasn't until about seventeen that I really started to actually enjoy and have the physical capabilities of doing true ballet and really being able to form and being able to jump and turn the way I wanted to and and not just fall out of it. That I had this comfort to actually perform and be successful with it. Interesting because so you started around, you said around the age of seven, seven, eight took you almost 10 years to start enjoying that's 10 years is a long time to dedicate yourself to something that, as you said, it's not that you didn't enjoy it, but it's to continue to sub to continue to subject yourself. Isn't the word I want to use? to implement yourself into something that you're not a hundred percent enjoying. Yeah. But again, as you said, you're a very logical person. So it's, I, because I know you, it's sort of like, and you were, <laughs> you were figuring out a puzzle. Yeah. A little bit. Like, it's sort of like a million piece puzzle, jigsaw puzzle that you're like, I'm going to put this million piece puzzle together, no matter how long it takes me, because I'm that, like I'm that logical, like I have to get this project done. Boom. I did it. And then, and that's the beautiful thing that once you, as you said, you, once you left ballet for a little bit to redirect your career path, that you actually got to settle into the artistry side of it, because then you got to enjoy the art that you created yep. from that million piece jigsaw puzzle. Like that's like the end game, like for a lot of jigsaw puzzle uh, people, 90% of it is getting the puzzle put together, but then it's also enjoying the art of the picture that you created. That That's why some people yeah. frame it at the end, because it is a yeah. piece of art. It is a literally a piece of artwork that happens. So it's yeah. knowing you and connecting that way that your brain works. I can completely now understand that those 10 years was putting the pieces together and just determination of accomplishing the task. And then later yeah. going, ah, yeah, I did that. 
Well, and, and I think part of it, you know, I blame Pavlov for a lot of it because my dancing was, I got to, especially once I got to high school, my, my dancing took over for a lot of it. My, my parents were always um, interesting in, in promoting and helping me uh, propel further and further in whatever I decided to do. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of that, because I was doing other sports, baseball, soccer, I, I tried wrestling freshman year of high school. I got into martial arts junior or sophomore year of high school, pole vault, long jump. Uh, I did, I did search and rescue, archery, horseback riding, neurotic um, overachiever. <laughs> yes, neurotic overachiever. Um, but within, within all that, I needed, you know, as I'm growing in each field, I had to make decisions because there was only so much time in the day. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, ballet just kept winning out. And I just said, no, that's what I want to keep doing. Because I was taking, you know, once I got into high school, and even before that, I was taking class six days a week. Monday through Friday was 6.30 until 8, 8.30 every single night. Um, and then Saturdays, we'd have we'd have class on, uh, on Saturday, sometimes Sunday if there was a teacher willing to come in. But we also had rehearsal Saturday and Sunday when shows were going on. And so I just, you know, I was spending 20, 25 hours a week at the ballet studio, a part-time job. How the hell did you manage? Uh, this, this is this is going to be a funny question coming from me. <laughs> yeah, right. Functional workaholic. But how did you manage ballet, part-time job, 25 hours a week with three different sports? And then at martial arts, you said you added your sophomore year. Like how, how, how? My my senior year of high school was probably my most active. Mm -hmm. Um, And every week, almost every week, that entire year, I would go to school at 8 a.m., 8, 830. Um. I would be done. I only had four classes that year, fortunately. I'd be done at 1230, 12 or 1230, depending. Um, I'd go to ballet at the school from one to three. I'd go to track and field, 330 to 530. And then I'd go to ballet at my home studio, 630 to 8, 830. And then if I had any rehearsals after that, uh, that was Monday through Friday. Saturday, I would go to Tai Chi in the, in the mornings. Uh, eight to nine. I'd go to combat class, nine thirty to ten thirty. I'd go to um, ballet class, eleven to one, and then we typically would have rehearsal, one to four or five. Uh, Sundays, I would go and practice pole vaulting at another school um, from like eleven to one, and then I'd go back to rehearsal, one to four again. Mom, is this what I sounded like when I was a kid? Yes. <laughs> so all of my friends in high school, was, was, was this me to you? Like, but, but actually, is, is this, to all of my friends now, is this what I sound like when you ask me what my schedule's like? <laughs> Holy. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think part of it too was my my dad especially had, had this idea that kind of just, um, <laughs> You know, if we keep him busy with sports, he won't have time to do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I can't, I can't say he was wrong. I can't yeah. say that was misguided. Well, shit. Only I, 
knowing how much sleep you need, I still don't understand how you functioned going to school at eight o'clock and doing all. Of I, I would, I, I'm still not, but I was definitely not a morning person during that time. During that time. <laughs> I said, I'm still not. <laughs> <laughs> so it hasn't gone away. Completely, but, you know, I was like, really? Uh, what? So how did you get into, so your fourth degree, uh, fourth degree black belt in Tai Chi yes. and Kung Fu, how yes. in your sophomore year, seeing that we're doing multiple sports and we're committed to ballet, how yeah. did we decide to add that to our schedule? So my best friend, Ian Johnson, mm-hmm. uh, was a pretty big swimmer and he broke his foot sophomore year and it, it he, he got pretty weak ankles. It's unfortunate. And it was, he just couldn't swim, especially with a broken foot. Mm. Um, so he wanted to do something else. And his dad was very encouraging about karate. And he's like, no, I don't want to do karate. And he was looking at things to try and figure out how to just heal better and fix himself a little bit better and work more efficiently with his body because he didn't want to just sit around at home all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he looked up in all places, the yellow pages, uh, see how many people actually remember those. And uh, he found he found this Tai Chi instructor, John, Shurfu John Bracy, and he went and took class for two weeks. And after two weeks, two classes, it was, it was a Saturday class. He went once, mm-hmm. said it was, he thought it was great, went again, said it was great. And he, he came up to me. He's like, hey, you got to try this. You should come take Tai Chi with me. And I said, OK, sure, let's do it. That's so you. <laughs> and so, I ju- yeah, I just I just got into it. <sighs> so. His Ian's dad wanted him to do karate, and he was like, "No." But then he went to the Yellow Pages and found a Shurfu. Is it just that he didn't want to do karate, or it was like, did he have an aversion to martial arts? And then he was just like, "Oh, no, no, he, he just had the aversion to, to karate. He just didn't want to do karate." Uh, so. Okay, okay, that makes sense. But he liked the idea of martial arts. I don't know exactly why he chose Tai Chi, uh, especially you know, there's there's lots of other internal art forms um to do but yeah he, he you know as far as i know he found the class and asked me to do it and i i i haven't uh you know you know all my friends know that i'm more of a say yes figure the rest out later yes so if anybody wants to do anything and it's gotten me into some some pickles here and there about committing myself too quickly to too much and i go oh thursday's the second I planned a whole bunch here on the second. I planned a whole bunch here on Thursday. I didn't realize that was the same day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm I, just like my morning person. I'm getting better at it. And not doing only it. Achieve, we can only strive to succeed day by day. Yes. Be better than yourself. Not, by, not, not more than anybody else. Exactly. So, uh, for those that don't know, there are many different forms of Tai Chi. It's not just the uh, flow aesthetic of it. It's actually practical. The actual slow movement actually is practical in, uh, in action, I'll say. So yeah. what, what forms have you, because you're a fourth degree Don now, what's your, what's your so, form? 
What, what have you trained in? I'm jumping in. So, so we practice uh, Yang style, which mm-hmm. is it's just the Yang family um, traditional style of it. it's 108 moves, three three different sections. Um, there's I think there's four different family styles that break down as kind of the foundational foundational families of it all. Um, but Tai Chi most respectively can be considered. Um, the stereotypical guy, old guys in the park doing the movements, doing the form work, um, and working, working with the flow of Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, to touch on that, you know, tai, the form is not Tai Chi. The form is a way to practice Tai Chi. So that's, that's incorporated within all that. Mm-hmm. Qigong, uh, which I really like a lot, is the meditation of it all. Um, and that includes a lot of the posture works, working with TCM, traditional Chinese medicine, mm-hmm. understanding the meridian lines and working with the flow within the body, kind of manipulating in, internally the operation of Tai Chi. And then Kung Fu is the application of Tai Chi in a combat presence. So that's where you get a lot of your self-defense, gun and knife work, mm-hmm. um, close combat, um, some of the other, you know, some of the other portions of the form or um, each move in the form has an application in uh, any kind of real life situation. So with all of these, now hearing all of this strikes a question, like literally strikes a question in my head. Is this how you, not, not Tai Chi, but all of these activities that you've been involved in, is this how you cracked your skull 10 times? Because <laughs> not um, once, not twice, yeah. not three times cracking your skull. Fucking ten, dude. How? What? It's yeah. It's uh. You know. And I'm how are you still? The, and how are you still here? Like, that's a very good question. I I'm coming up on the one year anniversary of number ten. Actually, um, it may have it may have passed. I think it, I think it just passed. I oddly enough, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Well, wait, what was, what was number 10? What was, what happened with number 10? Uh, I'll get to that. We'll, we'll start from one. Okay. So I cut off the right, my right ear about a third of the way down. Um, because I, I was, I was two years old. I fell off the couch and hit the, hit a coffee table and it just, it dinged me good. And it actually cut the top of my ear off. I had to get seven stitches to put it back on. My parents took the coffee table away. Um, and we're like, this is dangerous. They took it away. They hit it away. A year later to the day, they bring it back out. I'm three years old. I crawl the other way, fall, and cut the other ear off. <laughs> and it took, I, I don't remember. One of them took eight stitches. The other one took seven stitches to put back on. I, they're, they're both good. You know, I have function. That nothing's wrong with them now, but it cut it pretty good. <sighs> um my uh my eye both my eyebrows were a tree and a telephone pole top of the head was the swimming pool that took eight stitches the side the right side was a refrigerator that took seven stitches the front was a um sidewalk i just face planted that was fun um the left side i don't remember the left side and then the back the back was a sterile the back was was one of the true accidents i guess you could say the others were mishaps this was an accident for whatever reason 
one of our, uh, one of the guys that I danced with, he finished, he graduated high school and then it was my junior year and he came back and watched his show and we're kind of palling around and for some reason he grabs me under the legs and just rushes me, slams me into a stairwell and, I, and there was a concrete wall on the side of it and I just got a nice big two inch gash right in the back of my head. I'm lucky I didn't go blind. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm beside myself why he did that. Um, and then number 10, lucky number 10, nice round 10. Um, I was in Florida with the frozen tour and it was raining. We, we had rental cars and I was driving, I parked in the lot. I called my company manager and said, Hey, it's raining. I went slow. I didn't want to get an accident. There's a lot of traffic. I'm here. I'm just, I'm going to be five minutes late, but I'm here. I'll be ready. Don't worry about the show. I'll be here. She goes, okay. So I'm walking, I'm walking through. It's, it's raining. The ground's really wet. And in the car, I was like, I'm going to slip and hit my head and break, crack my skull again, aren't I? And I'm like, all right, I'm looking at the ground. I'm being careful. I'm really safe. I walk between a couple of parked buses and I step up on the curb. And as I step up, I step right into the bus mirror and it bends the mirror, shatters the glass. And I'm grabbing my head. I'm like, God, giant that hurt. And I'm rubbing it and just going crazy. And I take my hat off. And I'm like, man, that was painful. And I looked out, my hands covered in blood. I went, shit, I really wanted to do this show. Oh, so okay. I, I, I put my hat on. I don't really know what to do. I'm already in shock a little bit, but I'm okay. And I start walking by and I turn around and there's the bus driver looking at the mirror, looking at all the glass on the ground, looking at me. And I just go, sorry. And I keep going. <laughs> what the absolute <laughs> I, I I get into the theater nobody's around for some reason I have a straight shot I get I get into the stage management office then we it was the first day of our new company manager she saw me run by just covered in blood all over my face got down my shirt on my pants and she goes what's Evan doing is he playing a joke she thought I was kidding and I find the stage manager I talked to earlier and my hands, everything's covered in blood. I got it streaming down my face. And I go, hey, uh, Patty, yeah, I'm okay. Um, the other guy should go in and I need medical attention. And she looks me up and down real slow and she just goes, oh, what? <laughs> and I go, I'm okay. Put the other guy in. I need medical attention. <laughs> So long story, semi-short, they rushed me to the emergency room. I ended up getting four staples and about an inch and a half, ga inch and a half gash. Uh, and, and I have this helmet that I wear for Sven in the show, which from for the next five days was very painful to wear. <laughs> I think the worst part about that was that there were, there were novice student doctors um, training and the resident that was that they were shadowing was like, "Do you mind letting them try putting some staples in? They got to learn somehow." And I went, "Yeah, sure, whatever." So she did too. Clink, clink, felt fine, no big deal. Oh, the other one comes up. the The student doctor comes up and she's too tentative, and she pushes it against my skull and feels a little squish, and so she backs off a little bit. And I felt the, the thing come up off the surface of my head. And I'm like, no, no. And I actually like, pushed my head into it to get a firmer grip. 
but she missed just a bit. So the staple stuck up just the tiniest bit and it kept catching on things. And I'm like, son of a gun. And it hurt even more because it didn't actually press into the skin properly. So the, the, the second one she did, I was like, push harder. Doesn't it hurt? Oh. Yes, but push harder. Oh, <laughs> the- that was, yeah, that was, that was not fun. A, a refrigerator, a pool, <laughs> a stairwell, and a bus. Yeah. Who the fuck are you? The Those thing are- from Fantastic Four? Like what? What was your bone density made of? Concrete? Like what the? Like who does that? Who who walks into a fucking bus mirror? shatters and bends it like a transit bus walk yeah. away from it and go sorry hey i might need some medical attention <laughs> yeah so that for me that makes sense of why you're so fucking mental right now <laughs> you've knocked a few yeah. things every now and then throughout throughout the time but you know that's I- I've had I've had a very long grace period of finding my personal space. <laughs> uh, all right, so we <laughs> well at least they all weren't while you were like within like five years. At least it's been throughout like thirty years of your life. Well, yeah, probably about six of them happened between the ages of seven and twelve. That was that was tough. Um, the, the back of the head was a bad one too, because that same year is when I um, cut my finger and almost died from staph infection. And then when they gave me um, medicine to solve that, I almost died from anaphylaxis. What the fuck? Yeah. Okay. 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 What? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I go into the doc, you know, I cut my finger on an auto shop and it got infected and I thought I came, but I didn't very well, unfortunately. And it got infected and it swole, and my finger swelled up to about the size of a quarter all the way to the first knuckle. Uh, it was dark purple. And I had a dark red line going up my arm to my shoulder. And I walk out of my room one morning, it's a Sunday morning, and I go, hey, mom, I think we should go to the hospital. And she's like, why? I'm like, because I'm waving at you right now and I can't move my arm. <laughs> so what? she rushes me to the nearest hospital. And uh, the doctor's like, all right, well, let's take your sweatshirt off and see what's going on. And that's when they saw the red line. He's like, oh, you have staff. I need to fix this right now. So, because if it got, you know, if it got to my heart, it would stop my heart. He yeah. said it would have killed me in about two or three more days. Um, and it was about 12 days since the initial infection. Jesus. Um, they gave me what's called Rosefin. They gave me a double dose because it's so bad. And staff is actually the most, if not, I think it's the most, it's, it's one of the most common um, infections that occur in hospitals because staff really, it really enjoys a nice clean sterile environment. It makes it easier for it to move around. Um, so there, you know, every hospital is quite equipped to deal with that problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave me a double dose of Rosefin and said, all right, relax, stay here. Well, I didn't move very much. And it, I have a pretty, I, especially at that time, I had a very slow heart rate, so it didn't move through my body very much. And after about a half an hour, they said, all right, you're, you seem okay, go ahead and go home. And I'm, I get up and I walk to the elevator and I'm, I'm pretty groggy. And I, as the elevator door is open, I go, I'm going home. And I just, I just pass out, fall back, I'm gone. Um, Luckily, you didn't crack the, the skull again. I know, what? Luckily, you didn't crack your skull again. Right? That would have been a story. Um, I wake up to one of the nurses with the smelling salts over my nose going, can you smell it? Can you smell it? And I went, nope. <laughs> 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 and they cracked, they cracked a little bit more and put it right up against my nose. And went, can you smell it? I went, yeah, I can now. <laughs> Uh, so they, they rushed me to the hospital, uh, and I, 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 I went in anaphylaxis and I, I don't really remember much after that. I woke up three days later, my dad checking me out of the hospital. Three days later, you were out for three days. Yep. Pretty much. I, I, you know, I came and went, the, the only thing I remember is I woke up at one point watching Zootopia and I remember the zebra being funny, but that's it. <laughs> What the yeah. absolute fuck, dude? And apparently Monday rolled around and everybody's like, Where, where's Evan? Like, why is he not at school? And they didn't really think much of it because, you know, I, I missed, I, you know, it wasn't unbelievable that I, I had to miss a day for something. Um, and then Tuesday rolled around. I still wasn't there. Nobody heard from me. Nobody knew anything. And so my, so Ian called my mom and was like, where is Evan? Oh, he's at the hospital. He almost died twice. <laughs> that is so much as well. Well, it was sad because it wasn't until that phone call that she realized like everything caught up to her and it kind of made sense. And she's like, oh my God, he almost died twice. Uh. So how are mom and dad's hearts? Thanks to you. Um, <laughs> dad's dad's fine. He's got two younger brothers, so he's used to it. Mom is an only child and not used to boys, so I, I, that's a very good question. She should probably get an EKG. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like to tell the story that, you know, because of that, my brother and I fought a lot, and not just playfully. Um, and there were plenty of times that we'd get into it. My mother would be trying to get us to stop and yelling at us and all this. And she'd finally go up to my dad and go, Peter, Peter, you have to stop them. You gotta, you gotta help make them stop fighting so much. My dad wouldn't even take his eyes off the paper. He'd just kind of lean back in his chair and go, no, I hear two voices. They're fine. Like I, so I, uh, I'm part of the family, so I'm privy to these personality types. So the dynamics of it all. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, it is absolutely hilarious because I can see each one of them playing those yeah. roles during yeah. that time. But for you guys, you're just like, what? <laughs> yep. Uh, for everybody else, they go, "I'm sorry, what?" Yeah. Now, granted, my dad also did a, a canoe trip 
down the Mississippi with his brother. And they, they got an argument. And the only way it stopped was, I think my uncle Jeff hit my dad over the head with a cast iron skillet. And so my dad held him underwater till he passed out. The silence says everything. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's funny. It's hilarious. But I also have to apologize to the listeners because we're, you're telling like a seriously like tragic family story. And I'm just sitting here cracking up. But again, I know Uncle Jeff. I know Uncle John. And I know yeah. Dad, Papa Pete. So again, for me, I know the family dynamic. I know each one of these people very, uh, not intensely is not what I'm looking for, uh, in depth. So it's just, uh, yeah, I can see that happening. I can see the yeah. whole thing play out. Oh, gee. how the yeah. hell do we transition from here, from cracking your skull 10 times, including walking to a fucking transit bus <laughs> to finding well, I out. A, well, I got another dear death if you want that. Go for it. Why not? Well, this yeah, this was an interesting one. So I think I was twenty. I think I was twenty-two. It could have been. It might have been twenty. Anyway, we're we're getting ready for Nutcracker. Uh, it's it's middle of December, and I got knocked down with very bad tonsillitis. Mm -hmm. um, so bad, so that I woke up one morning. And spent a good eight hours, you know, hugging porcelain. Um, and and we didn't really know what to do. I, I think we went to the doctor and got a got a diagnosis of tonsillitis. Um, but I had I had fever going from nine like ninety six six to one oh three one about six times a day for four days straight. I lost. 18 pounds in four days and what? much of it was I, I didn't leave my bed for four days I and I, I didn't eat or drink a single thing I had nothing I couldn't keep down water it would just come right back up 18 pounds um, is about 8 or 9 kilos for my European people you are yeah. 22 at this time so you're like what 170 I, I, weighed, I weighed 173 pounds and that dropped me down to 155 which is um, 62 kilos, I believe, somewhere around there. Yeah. No, 70. Um, no, 70. Anyway. Somewhere around there. Yeah. What the it, hell, it, dude? It was a lot of weight to lose in four days, to say the least. And I just, on the fourth day, I just kind of woke up and went, I think I'm okay. And I tell this story to my parents. And my mom goes, that never happened. And my dad just kind of looks at her and looks back at me and goes, yeah, that happened. <laughs> what the fudge, bro? Uh, and and I, I asked them, I'm like, why didn't you guys take me to the hospital? And my mom goes, I don't remember that happening. And my dad goes, you're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, well... I mean, I can't argue with it. I did live. I, I did make it. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so, 
we met in 2009. <laughs> that's how we move on. That's how we, that's how we bridge it. We just move on. We just <laughs> right through it. Like it's, I, I'm literally trying to think of what the hell do I see? You know what? So we met in 2009 at one of the collectively for everybody there worst auditions ever. <laughs> I, that's like the only thing I remember from that is the collective disgust with how the audition went. We had a, it was like a seven or eight person powwow circle outside of the studio in the parking lot after the audition talking about how shitty that audition was like yeah. not one person was happy with the way that it went. Like I ended up singing. It was for a musical. It was for the upcoming premiere of a musical that was opening on Broadway. I won't mention the name. Uh, <laughs> and it was so. I, it, <laughs> it's just so funny. So it was so bad that everybody knows me. I don't have a poker face whatsoever. Like, it is nope. It is so bad at this audition that Evan walks up to me and goes, it's alright, dude. It's alright. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry, what? And I was like, oh shit, my face must be, because it was my friend Delandis, I think Trey was there, you were there, and like three oh, of yeah, I remember Delandis. And we are all like, what is this choreography? What is happening? Not one person could figure out what was actually being taught. We tried to ask questions and it's just like, it is what it is like that. We all in the break, we're all like, it is what it is. Let's just have, Hey, what's your name? My name's Mike. Joanna's over. Cool. And uh, this is 2000. This was April, 2009. And it was interesting because when uh, we were like, dude, we should hang out sometime and found out that I was moving to Sweden and you were moving to Japan. Yeah. So I was like, wait, what? How is how is this like what's going on there? Uh how how did you get in how did you get that audition from what's the transition from uh ballet tai chi into the musical theater audition? And, oh, uh, and was that question. right after you almost died of tonsillitis? Seeing that I don't know that story. Yeah, I'm trying to remember if the tonsillitis was when I was 20 or 22. Because it would, I, I just can't remember if it was before or after um, Japan. I think it was It was after definitely Japan. before Japan. It was definitely before Japan. You think so? Because December, first December in Japan, I had just come. And then mom and dad were there. That was 2009. 2010. Two thousand ten, maybe. Could when did we go to Italy? We went to Italy in two thousand thirteen. Two thousand twelve, yeah. I was home for your birthday. Uh, that's when we went to the aquarium with Ian, I believe. And two thousand eleven, yeah. when did we go? When were we, when were we supposed to go? Uh, when did we all go bowling? That was two thousand eleven. So it couldn't have been two thousand ten because your birthday's in January. Yeah, it could have been in 2010. So I think it was. I was 22 in 2010. Yeah. So I think it was when you were 20. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah. if it was yeah. when I was 20, it, it was it was four months after that recovery. So I was. It took me six months to get my weight back from that. 
So I was I was still on the lean side during that audition. What? If that's the case. Yeah. That's bananas. So yeah. So how? So who? Where? Where's the transition from uh, the ballet well, to the musical that will remain unnamed and Tokyo Disney, which is what you were going to Japan for? Yeah. So to add to my neuroses, my my uh, overachieving neuroses, um, I, I I joined a jazz company in Chicago right out of high school. Mm-hmm. And from there, I was doing everything I could to get in with Joffrey um, because the Joffrey Ballet Company was my number one. I, they, they were who I wanted to work with, um, like my top, top pick. Um, you know, I, I almost got in with Stuttgart. Um, I almost got in with another contemporary company out in San Francisco. But Joffrey was my number one. And I got through and I looked at the program and I went and took class with them a bunch and they, they, they looked at me as far as I knew, they were very seriously considering me. Um, and I got through it. They picked two other guys. They had two spots between me and three guys from the San Antonio ballet. And they picked two of those guys and just observing all the dynamics of this and how the operation worked and what rehearsals were. I was like, this sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I just didn't like, I did not like the dynamic of a company. It was it was very frustrating to me. I was like, I just want to dance. Like, why? The, my biggest frustration was why they were insisting that I was in rehearsal for a piece that was finished choreographed. Everybody knew what they were doing, and um, we had like we were like two and a half, three months out from the performance, and yet we were still doing full on rehearsals every like every day, every week. And if we got stuff to work on, great. But it was the, we would run it and then go, okay, do you have any notes? Do you want to say anything? And they're like, um, it was good. Uh, let's just run it again. No. No, <laughs> if you don't have anything to say, I'm going home. If this, if this was okay, only two weeks before the show, we can clean it up and then we'll do the show. But two and a half months, I'm sorry, this is bullshit. I don't want to do this. And so it really, I was like, I'm done. I, this is terrible. So I, I, you know, I, I came home. I left and I, I came back home and I, I, I went, all right, what's next on my list? And I, <laughs> I went back to school and I, I, I went, I went to school to be a firefighter mm-hmm. and I did all my training there and I actually did very well with it. Um, I, I got really high grades and I did, I got really good scores on my physical agility tests and a similar thing happened and I got through the program and I went, I don't think I'm going to enjoy this at all. I'm going to be bored. In about three years, I will be bored out of my mind. Um, so I, I just, I, I didn't know what to do with myself. And then we were doing, um, oh, and that's when I auditioned for, I saw Tokyo Disney auditions up. And I think I went out for those like the February before I met you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was so funny to me because I was just like, you could put a smile on and just do a box step and Disney will hire you. And the guy next to me is like, no, you can't. And I was like, watch this. And I actually did that. I just, <laughs> and just did a box step during the choreography. Like I did the choreography, but then I did that. And I actually got the job. And I, <laughs> I wish I remembered who he was. That is not why you got the job. <laughs> it's because no, you, you look like I fucking Prince job, Even though I did that. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm telling you, everyone, everyone listen to me right now. If you're in a, a Disney audition, just do a box step and a big smile. They'll hire you, I guarantee you. <laughs> I'm kidding, by the way. I'm kidding. Don't do that. Do, do the choreography. <laughs> so that that is what got me to Japan. Okay. I, you know, I had my whole Tokyo career with, with Tokyo Disney, which was wonderful. I, I love Japan. Really enjoyed getting to eat the food. You came out to visit. Um, Not yeah, once, but twice. Awesome. You came out twice, which, by the way, Kayoko says hello. She came out here to see me in Singapore. Yeah, I, I, me- I messaged her for her birthday, and she told me she was going to go visit you. Yeah. Nice. So she was out here for about four days, um, which was great. We enjoyed seeing the show because she, w- she really wanted to come see the, the U.S. tour, and she just couldn't, she couldn't make it over. Um, and I'm like, all right. So when I got the Singapore gig, I was like, hey, by the way, I'm going to be a lot closer to you. Yeah. <laughs> you nice. So, um, yeah, it just, it just kind of went from there. And then I was actually going to stay in Tokyo, uh, and do another Disney contract with them. And the reason I came back was because of Marie Delapont. I was, after we finished talking about Disney, I was going to say, how do we get into Marie? So continue. So, uh, you, you danced for this Marie Delapont was one of the most amazing women I have ever met. Uh, she passed away and, of uh, breast cancer a number of years ago. Um, but uh, the works of art that she did were stunning. Uh, the company Motion Tribe was the name of her company. I got to uh, travel to uh, meet them. I got to train with them. I had a lot of fun. How did you get... Uh, since you were in Japan... How did you connect with Marie? So I actually connected with Marie senior year of high school. She, mm-hmm. I went to the performing arts high school. I had ballet class there. And Marie came in as a guest choreographer and set Swan Lake, a portion of Swan Lake, on our ballet company, our ballet class there. Mm-hmm. And um, she had, she'd already created several works that she had one which was called the cage and the original choreography for the cage was uh, four different size cages in different ways around people to symbolize different struggles and, and kind of their own personal workings and relationships. And she kept getting this feedback to only to do, to do the piece over, but only use the one big cage, mm-hmm. um, which is like six and a half by four by four feet. So working with me in the ballet doing Swan Lake, we got, you know, we really got to know each other a little bit. And she, I, I loved working with her. She liked working with me. We built up a pretty nice rapport. And then she saw that I, I pulled and she's like, well, this guy must be pretty strong. I need somebody strong to do the cage. And so after, you know, still in senior year, after um, um, Swan Lake was finished for that show, she said, I want you to come try out the cage and, and meet Fabian, my, my soon to be partner. And we went over to OCC and um, she had the cage set up and she just said, this is it. This is Fabian. Play, have fun, see what you can do. And I just started moving around on it. And I just, another one of those times like, okay, cool. Let's do it. <laughs> I didn't really think much about it. I just jumped on and started having fun. And so she again she was a big impetus for me to come back home and work with her 
um, with Motion Tribe after Tokyo. Nice. Um, yeah. And so I got, I got in working with her, um, since then. And, you know, I did at least we did, I did four major pieces with her, um, and helped out with a couple other ones. So the cage is by far one of my favorite pieces, uh, that Marie has done. It is absolutely beautiful. Uh, for those that are privy to Gamble's Green Room, um, and for those who aren't, I on on the Instagram account on the Instagram account, I normally post a video of some of the work that my guests have been doing. I am <clears throat> excuse me, I am definitely going to find a clip of the cage. Yeah. One, because this mofo right here is a little fucking monkey and just like <laughs> super strong as hell, but it's actually so beautiful. Um like it needs to be seen. Um, it's a very emotional piece. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, Marie, Marie was known to use very classical works and do more of a modern contemporary operation with her dancing. Um, she really found a beautiful line collaborating those two in- instruments together. And the, the music, the music is afternoon of a fawn by Claude Debussy. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, the the auditory emotion and sense of it really feeds and co- brings the piece to life in the way we make the movement. And Marie's Marie's application of choreography to those sounds, mm-hmm. um, because I don't think it's something I would ever imagine myself, but it almost sounds like somebody wrote the music for the choreography. Nothing it does. Around. It really does. And I'm going to connect this piece to something we talked about earlier with your uh, development in ballet is that, uh, you, you, you know, you said after a little bit of leaving ballet, you found the artistry and the mm-hmm. way that Marie's movement was structured really helped uh, display your artistry from the ballet because it was such more of a modern contemporary uh, working of ballet wasn't yeah. the it wasn't the as you said the precision or the perfection of ballet it she came from a very emotional uh grounding of the movement that yeah i her her movement on you really got we the audience got to see the artist of evan strand like yeah. the, the way your body because also your body is so muscularly structured it's so dense uh like he cracked his skull 10 times. That's how dense his bone structure is. But no, like his muscle structure is so dense. You don't think that that type of athletic body could move that way and the subtle softness of it. And it's just, this piece is just amazing. All the other pieces it's, I've seen as well, uh, museum, museum, the fight, uh, enough, uh, the duet, the duet. Yeah. Um, there's, there's so many. Yeah. The, her movement is so, 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 so great. I know uh, another friend of ours, Maritza, who was uh, in the company as well. She, uh, we've been talking, or you guys have been talking as a company of tr- trying to do a uh, reprise or something. I definitely would love to try and make that happen as well. And as we're talking, I'm thinking of trying to, how I can get you guys to Sweden to get. Uh, right. 
the Swedish audiences to see it. Cause this, I think the Swedish audiences would freaking love it. But I got to see you guys in Audiot in France, traveled with you in Paris. Yes. Uh, we traveled. That's, in- a, that's a good story. Yeah. <laughs> nah, you remember, you of know what I'm talking remember. about. Of, of course I remember it. There's also two, there's the rum raisin and then there's the, where are you from? <laughs> oh yeah. That was, that one's good. Oh, well, which one were you talking about? Because those are the two I The rum raisin. Okay, yeah. The... I was talking about the rum raisin. <laughs> yes, the, the, yes, but but where are you from? <laughs> and I just told mainly, you before that. Yeah, exactly. Mainly because you just told me about it. I'm like, no, oh, that doesn't happen. Literally, like 10 minutes later, it happened. <laughs> so we, so uh, the company's in uh, the south of France in a small town called Audioc. They're doing a residency performance there. Um, I'm off on summer, so I fly over to hang out. We're having fun. Uh, we're out. We're out to lunch or dinner or something, and we're getting dessert. And there's ice cream. And uh, it was it was Ben's birthday. Ben, it, yep. Oh, it was that's what it was. Ben's birthday. So we bought him ice cream, and he gets rum raisin. And I'm like, rum raisin? Yeah. Why the he- that is gross just well, to begin with? You know what well, we have? We have rum raisin in America. And it just is a rum flavored raisin ice cream. It's actually not terrible. No, it so is bad. terrible. Rum raisin ice right. cream is terrible, like overall. But this one, so that just that just digs you a deeper hole. Yeah. What happened? There. <laughs> so Ben gets it, and he's like, <laughs> "We're like, it can't be that bad." And I think Marissa no, takes no, no, the no. next. Hold on. It wasn't just rum raisin ice cream though. It was literally raisin ice cream in a in a like alfagato glass with rum just poured on it. Yeah. Not mixed, just poured into the glass. <laughs> and then Ben gets a spoon and just takes a big bite and goes, Whoa. <laughs> And Gamble being as wise and, and as sage wait, as he is. Wait, there was someone before me. It was either Maritza or Evan Swenson. It was Swenson. It was Swenson. Swenson decides. He's like, it can't be that bad. <laughs> yeah. So Swenson takes a big bite. Oh, God. And then I'm like, dude, come on. Stop being bitches. It can't be. <laughs> so I go, Evan, you got to try this. And Evan goes. And I went, you hate it. You hate it. You hate it. I'm good. <laughs> all right. I don't need to have that in my mouth at all. Uh, yeah, fun times. We have a lot of travel stories. Uh, Frankfurt, almost getting trapped in the zoo. No, no, Frank. The zoo wasn't the part of Frankfurt that was the best. The part that I loved was this. Looks a lot like Germany. We're <laughs> in Germany. In my Frankfurt. Frankfurt's airport insignia is F- FRA. Yeah. And so, so you, you kept thinking we were in France. And you're like, Why is, this really looks German to me. <laughs> and I was like, it is Germany. And we start cracking up. And some German guy walks by and goes, what's so funny? I thought we were in France. That's not funny. <laughs> stop laughing. Yeah. That, that actually happened. We're going, okay, whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, what happened in Italy? Oh, and when we were when we were in Rome, we're walking so we're uh 
our hotel was by uh was by the train station it wasn't too far from the train station and then the triumph was around the corner and stuff so you know walking to the main city you have uh by one of the fountains uh you know all the restaurants are like hey come in come in come in and this guy's like, oh, you guys look cool. You should come in. We're like, yeah, whatever. And we're walking. We're on our way back from walking all day in the city. We're like, fuck, I'm hungry. You hungry? Yeah. Shit, we're actually in front of that. Should we just go in? It's like, worst case, it's just going to be shitty food. And we know. And we go in. Yeah. And it's actually really fucking good. Like, Well, well remember, too, because we went to one center. And we're walking around. We went in one place. We looked at it. And we're like. I don't want to eat this, but I'm yeah. hungry. I know me too, but I don't want to eat this. This looks bad. Yeah. So we're like, all right. So we kept walking. We went down. We went down this little like alleyway that we we just were trying to get. We weren't thinking it was going to be there. We think we're going to get to the next little section. Oh, I wasn't even talking about that restaurant. That's the small. Oh. That's the small restaurant where it just ended up being us two and like another couple, and then like they yeah. just and they just kept feeding us food. Like the- <laughs> yeah, they're like, no, no, eat. Eat, please. Keep eating. And it's like, no, no, they, no. They, I were rate, they were rated the best restaurant in Italy, like that was nine Nap- years in a row, something like that. That was Naples. That was in Napoli. Yes, yes, that that's was, where it was. I keep, so, I can't remember where it was. Naples. So that was Naples because we went, we went to Rome uh, for Christmas. So Evan came over to visit me. I was doing the musical Lacaja Fall. We had planned on going to Greece, but something happened where we couldn't go. To, ah, you booked another job, so our trip got cut short. So yeah. instead we went, we we're like, well, let's just go to Rome. It'll, it's, it's a short trip. We can go to Rome for a couple of days. And then we didn't realize that we were going on Christmas. So everything was going to be closed because we were going to go to, uh, Pompeii. And it's like, yes, it's Christmas. Are they open? We're like, fudge. All right, let's go to, Na- let's just go to Naples. It's a, it's a hour train ride away. Something will be open and we get there and everything's closed because it's, Christmas. <laughs> so we're walking around and then we stumble at this uh, in that that restaurant we just stumbled on and the woman like I got a, I got two free desserts because I couldn't decide which one I wanted. Yeah. We got like a bottle and a half of wine for free. We got something else and the woman she just kept coming over and sitting at our table talking to us like so. Yeah. La, 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 la. And we we and she didn't charge us for half of anything that we got for food and we walk outside and we look at the door and it's like italy's best restaurant or like five star on some like what the hell is decorated in awards yeah so the one i was talking about is the one (laughs) in, in the one in rome where uh it ended up being the manager's birthday we closed out the restaurant and it ended up being the the uh manager's birthday and they're like you guys want to drink with us? So we ended up staying after till like two, three in the morning, hanging out with the bar staff and drinking. And then we went back the next day and it was live music. It was like a live funk band or jazz band or something. And then they, their tables were booked. They cleaned out a table for us and then proceeded to give us more food and drinks for free. Like we were locals. It was, that's what happens when you (laughs) hang with the E and the G. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so where are we in the story now? So we're traveling, uh, you, you were in, you were in Japan for a year doing Tokyo Disney. You almost did a second round of it, but you go back to the States to work with Marie de la Palme. 
we're traveling back and forth, different meeting up different places, traveling around. We ended up actually going to a Barbie industrial audition together. Oh yeah. Did you book that? You ended up booking that. that one, didn't you? No, I didn't get that. I thought no. you did. They no, they were looking at me. I don't remember why I didn't get that. They really liked me for that. Right. I why That's why I, I thought you that. got it. Yeah, no. Okay. Like they, they were very open about like how much they liked me. And I was yes. like, cool, hire me. Right. Like, yeah, about that. <laughs> we could use you for something yeah. later. I don't what? know. <laughs> yeah. And then another funny thing is that you had a sort of a uh, game show sprout where you won. Yeah. You won a freaking car. From yeah. an online competition of being the most muscular person or some shit like that. Yes, sort of. It was it was for Jack FM. It was for the radio station. Yeah. <laughs> they had a muscle they had a muscle contest, and the 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 winner got a twenty twenty twenty. No, no, it was way before 2012. that. Twenty twelve. It was way before that. Yeah, twenty twelve. Uh, brand new 2012 base Camaro. Yeah, I was like, I'll enter, and I got in. And they it was it was set up like basketball brackets, and I had a lot of time on my hands at the time, so I would go to various um, certain computer stores. I don't want to drop that name, but we won't worry about that. <laughs> um, and use their computers and log in to the to the Jack FM website for the contest and vote for myself hundreds and hundreds of times. And here's the big thing. Not only did I vote for myself, I voted because it was four different brackets. And at the end, it was four. It was uh, head up four on four. Everybody was against each other. Yeah. Um, so I would vote for myself in my bracket and against the top runner in the other brackets. And I just saw these these like big huge muscle guys just like posting videos of themselves like how how did i get kicked out in the first round this is absurd and this like 120 pound girl beat me like this is absurd like i don't understand (laughs) and i'm i i realized that all of my voting was actually working it was actually skewing everything a lot of people said i cheated I just say I found a loophole. Um, it was rigged. At the end of it, <laughs> what? I said it was rigged. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, at the end of it, it was it was you know four. There were four people in the last, final round, and there was there was a hundred percent going to be one girl because one of the brackets there were two girls in the last, and there was going to be one girl. So to avoid all the men and everywhere just voting for her because she's a girl. I made sure the second girl got in the final round. The kicker for all of it, it was I was I was at a, I was at one of the stores in Burbank, California, and I I got there early. I was the only one in the store. I went all to their to their touchpads and I I did all the stuff on there. For whatever reason, the touchpad didn't work as good as the laptops, so I could only vote once. But on the laptops, I just made a circle of like seven, and I would like I log on. Uh, Open the window, log on. Open the next window, log on. Vote. And then go to this one. And then the next one. It just made a big cycle and I shut down and restart. I got kicked out of several. Uh, anyway, I get to this one in Burbank 
and I'm doing all of it. And I get to the laptops and I log in, I click hit and it says, you've already voted. I'm like, huh, that's weird. Go, whatever. And go to the next one. It's the last day of the contest. I go to the next one. I log in, I click, I vote my name and I go, and it goes, you already voted. I'm like, huh, that's weird. I look over and there's a girl just standing there going on the computer. I walk up to her and I went, hey, how's it going? She's like, oh, hey, still working on it. What are you doing? Oh, I, I made it to the final round of this muscle contest for Jack FM. You should vote for me. And I got up real close to her and I went, yeah, I know. I'm that guy right there. And she goes, holy shit. <laughs> and I went, good to meet you. Good luck. And I raced to the next line of computers. <laughs> next one. Vote for me. She only took about, I don't know, 18 votes from me. I won by like 600 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Uh, and that, 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 I, I was blown away that I ran into her. Well, it's also, it really it's also comical that you ran into her doing the same thing you were doing. Yeah. Yeah, she she tried to explain to me. She's like, yeah, my friend works for this tech company and says each computer, because they're not registered yet, they have their own IP address and you can do it You can do it as many times as you want and it never registers the same IP address. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's what I've been doing. <laughs> Freaking God. So did, but, you take, uh, did you take the Camaro? No, you took the Camaro. I did. So it was, it was raining when I picked it up. So I went for a wicked joyride. Uh, and then I ended up selling it for a lot of money. <laughs> I had a car. I, I had my Mini at the time. I didn't yeah, I know. Car. But why didn't you just take the cash option then? They didn't have a cash option. The oh, cash option was, no, you take the car, you pay for the taxes, and then you can sell the car. Fair enough. Thanks for the ride. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So... <laughs> And then I won the other game, Joe. Yeah, I literally, like, uh, what was it, OSIT? Yeah, like two months later. Yeah. And o- so OSIT was sort when, of like, OSIT was sort of like Wipeout, but yeah. for, those, for those of you that don't know, Wipeout was a game, well, most people know Wipeout because it was also syndicated internationally because I remember watching it here in Sweden. But Wipeout, yeah. they have a bunch of obstacles that literally just tries to wipe out people. And OSIT was sort of like that, but in a controlled environment setting. <laughs> yeah, it was in it was it had a big, you know, an outside ring with three obstacles and then three bridges across a moat to an inner circle that had some chairs. And each obstacle is worth, I think, a hundred bucks. And then each um, each bridge across and there was different obstacles to get on the bridges as well was another hundred bucks and then each chair uh registers a different denomination. Oh right. And so then we forgot to say it's like that musical was the first two rounds. And then the second two rounds everything doubled. And then the last round whoever got to and then in the last round it was a giant um pyramid that you had to climb up with a single chair on top. There were three people in the final round, uh three obstacles around the circle and no bridges to cross. So you had to jump in the water and, and find your way up. And I got the bit I got the biggest prize chair on two of the rounds. And I, I ended up getting in the very top spot at the end. Um and I, th- I think I won like thirty-seven thousand dollars. Yeah. 
But apparently I, I watched the video afterward and there was one of the other guys got very close to beating me at the end. Very close. But he didn't, which is why you got the 37,000. Yeah. You lucky son. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. But so I, so if you listen to what that just was, so it's sort of like musical chairs, but for money in terms of wipeout. So I have, I have something to tell anybody that's interested in doing game shows like that. Do it. Don't be the best in the um, preliminary rounds. There, when I was there, there were these two, there was these twin guys, football Mm -hmm. players. They were young. They're probably like 18, 19, 20 years old. And they smoked everyone. They obliterated the competition in the preliminary round and they never got picked because the judge, the, the people putting the show on didn't believe anybody could keep compete with them and make keep up with them. Yep. So they, they didn't cast them because there wasn't going to be much of a show. They wanted some more excitement. Yeah. So I so, stayed right in the middle of the pack. <laughs> so comically, what a lot of people don't know is I also had a foray into some kind of TV show competition thing. Yeah. That I really didn't want to do in the first place. But also, that's the thing. What most people don't realize is that all of these shows are scripted. Not that they have a script that they give you and they want you to say stuff, but they have story editors that are trying to get a specific storyline out of it for TV. They don't want people to win these fucking things. They want to get as much viewers possible to get these. That's why it's a TV show. Like, your favorite reality TV show is not real. It's also edited so that people say things. What's that? It's the farthest from reality you could ever get. Yeah. I remember on the show, so I'll say it, I did fucking American Gladiators, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I So signing, like when you sign the contract to do it, it was like, okay, everybody gets uh, two friends, like family members or friend, family members or friends to fly in. And then when it got to me, they're like, oh, Gamble, you live in LA. So no, you're not getting anyone flown in. I'm like, but I'm not from LA. My family's from the East Coast. And my agent went to talk to him. They're like, well... If he's not happy with it, we'll just get find somebody else. And she's like, listen, again, I know like your family. Just can you just do it for us? Because I didn't want to do the show in the fucking first place. <laughs> like, I hate reality TV show. I hate reality TV. So I was like, I don't care, dude. I'll just sure. And then my sister ended up flying my family out. And they came to the end of the first round. They were there for the beginning of the semifinals. And then during the finals, uh, they were supposed to fly. They were supposed to fly to uh, the hometown, so we could like, oh, the hometown hero, blah 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 blah, and, and like, they're just shit. And then I'm sitting there with the one of the story producers, and she storms in. She's we became friends. She's like, Gibble, sit down. I'm like, yo, what is she go? Shut up. I'm like, yo, you're not going to talk to me. She's like, your family. Yeah, they were here. Yeah, how'd they get here? My sister flew them out. Why? Because the network said, if I'm from LA, so I can get anyone here. So they weren't going to give me tickets to fly. So my sister was like, I'll just do it. She goes, why didn't you say anything? It's like, she's literally yelling at me. I'm like, well, because they told my agent that if I didn't want to do it, they would find somebody else. And she's like, she is pissed because she didn't know this. She goes, they literally just tried to get me to come here to make you cry because your family didn't come. And I was like, First off, you know damn well that I'm not going to cry about that. Like, she goes, yeah, I know, which is why I thought it was weird. But then 
when I found out why, I was pissed that you never said anything. I was like, well, I did. Ah, right. No, I, you know, damn well that I am not the person to give you guys the TV that you want. Like, no. And I remember another time, uh, Layla Ali and Hulk Hogan were the hosts. And it's before one of the events, she's like, Gamble, you're one of the fastest guys out here. And the gladiators going to do like, they say they're going to do this. So this is the event. What's your strategy? And I look at her and I go, why the fuck would I tell you what my strategy is for them to hear what I'm going to do so that they can go against my strategy so that I fail? She just looked at me. She's like, this is why I love you. You, <laughs> you guess we're not using this interview on the TV show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fucking reality TV is horrible. It is shit. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Speaking of which. Yeah. Um, Oh shit! Did not record the sound from the studio audience or my coach, who was my my friend Ian. Yeah. Um, and my number was I was number six for mm-hmm. the for the race. So Ian got the entire audience to chant six 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 six, <laughs> and all. The camera guys and all the other operators are laughing hysterically. <laughs> Some of the contestants are like, what? <laughs> Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're having all this fun. We're winning money. We're winning cars. We're traveling the world dancing. How do we decide to go into acting? Ah, uh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> About that. It's <laughs> a good question. So after I went to school uh, for firefighting and got out of that, I didn't really know what to do. Um, blanking on, yeah. So I came home, did that, and then I went to Japan. I came home from Japan, and I, again, I didn't know what I was going to do. I knew I wanted to dance with Marie, mm-hmm. um, but she was she was the reason I came home from Japan. So beyond that, I wasn't quite sure. And I'm, I'm kind of kicking around and I, I tried to go to a couple classes at Golden West College, which is another community college and nothing was really sticking. And then we were doing Firebird with my home studio, Southland Ballet Academy. And I got to be the evil, like the evil demon, Cachet. And oh, I just I had, that. yeah, I had a great time with that role. And it was one of those things that my director, I found out later that my director was very concerned about my performance with it. She wasn't, cause I, I, I kind of marked through everything in, in rehearsal mm-hmm. and she's like, but you need like, be scary. You need to be, you do more. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got it. I'll be fine. She's like, no, but I, I need to, I need it more. I'm like, yeah, I got you. I'll be fine. I got you. And our costume was actually from, um, a, a version of cats. I had a cat's unitard on and then another one over of something else that blended it and make it look like something else. Anyway, after those performances, I had tons of people coming up to me and just blown away. They're like, I didn't recognize you that I, we didn't know it was you. I couldn't believe what was going on. Like just the way I kind of transitioned into this demon that could kind of shape shift and, and make different ways of, of moving. And, and so many people were like, you should be an actor. Mm. I kind of went, oh, okay. Why not? 
<laughs> That's As it. You do. There's no more romantic fairy tale of it. That was it. Somebody suggested I should be an actor. I said, okay, works for me. But that's yeah. that's how I roll. That's who I am. Yeah, you already said that you are the type of person that you go okay and figure it out later. Yep. 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 Um, so I, you know, I obviously I, I took I took an acting class in at Irvine Valley College where I was dancing with Maria a little bit, mm-hmm. um, and then I wanted to get into another acting class that I did. I did a I did a. 1970s version of Romeo and Juliet where I played Paris mm-hmm. and I had this awesome long hair and um, wore, wore uh, disco pants and a very wide collar, uh, long sleeve shirt. It was, it was interesting. Anyway, <laughs> a couple of the guys I did that show with were taking a class with a woman named Jocelyn Jones. And I went and interviewed with her in September, I think it was. And she's like, I like you. I think you're great. I think you got a good head on your shoulders. You can't be in any other classes. So when you finish all your work at the school, come talk to me. So I finished it up. Holiday, you're all around. I went and saw her the first first week of January. She said, great, come on to class next week. So I did. And I I, I joined class. That was, uh, let's see, when was that? It was 2011. Mm-hmm. I joined I joined Jocelyn's class. And I just never, I never looked back. I've been loving it ever since. Um, I take... I take acting class with a gentleman named Manny Urego now. Mm-hmm. He was in the class with us. Jocelyn was helping to kind of educate him in, in being a teacher himself at some point. And then the, the time came upon us and he took, he, he started his own class of all the same technique and understanding. It's uh, Milton Katsalas from the Beverly Hills Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's his technique, his book. And I, I really, I find it very beneficial uh, working with the, the operation because unlike, um, unlike most courses that teach very specific methods of if you do this, you will be successful. Mm-hmm. I've never found that to be beneficial for myself. And the operation we do with Milton, the work with, with Jocelyn and Manny's teachings is they, they always explain that it's a toolbox of things we can do. Mm-hmm. And we get to pick and choose how we apply those tools to each scene, to each operation, to whatever we're working on in any media, any field that we're doing it in. Um, and in that same sense, we have the power to sharpen each tool independently of the others as sharp as we want it. Mm-hmm. That if we really like um, behavior and pathology uh, and we're not necessarily as keen on utilizing for ourselves, and it's individual to each person. Mm-hmm. Um, not so keen on using, I don't know, um, emotional state. We we can gear everything, gear our acting and our work to utilize those resources that we like. And if we find a flow for ourselves. So it's all still the same operation of it all. But so it's able to be individualized, mm-hmm. which I think is fantastic. Because I've, I've sat in a couple other classes. And I just, I watched the teacher go, that was fine. Do like this. Mm-hmm. And it breeds this idea that if you don't do it exactly like they want you to, you're wrong. And that's right. just not true because at the end of the day, anyone can be an actor. Mm-hmm. I certainly have my opinions that I will always keep myself of whether or not I think anybody's a very good actor or not. <laughs> but I, I will never tell anyone that they shouldn't or can't do it right. because there's always somewhere that you could fit in. 
there's going to be something you could do. You may not be able to do a whole lot depending on what the, what the range is, but you know, it doesn't matter what your handicap is. doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how tall you are. It doesn't matter what you weigh. It, nothing matters. There is a spot for you somewhere if you want to do it. There's always a market for someone. And it's also what people fail to realize is like extra acting is also a part of acting. Like yeah. it's, yeah. I know people who actually make a life, like a life salary out of doing extra work, uh, fulfilling in scenes because it becomes extras are really characters that you can't, what's what, how, how much is la, la, la. Like every person you see in like in a movie scene, like in a restaurant, they're hired as an actor, technically. Yeah. And a lot of times I've, I've, I've started doing it, uh, that you actually get bumped up. If not that you're good, but people are like, Oh, that kid, I want I want him here in this scene. Can you, can you say this line? Can you, Oh, you can deliver that line. Cool. Well, how about we bump you up on, can we make you a, can we make you a feature? Can we, and then from there, that's how you, that's how a lot of people got up into being like a uh, star actors that they started off doing commercials. They yeah. started off doing yeah. like little, little scene stuff. Well, like, I've, I've heard it. I've heard it time and time again. There are no, there are no small roles, only small, small people. I was going to say they're only small people. <laughs> well, I mean, technically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So once you started acting, did that take over from your dance or did you continue on with dancing or did you try to shift? Like, how did it work out for you? So the dancing was always something that I realized once I didn't really want to be with a company, it wasn't anything that was going to really be able to support any kind of lifestyle I really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I could freelance. I could really, I mean, push as hard as I wanted and, and go out of my way to freelance and really go after it but even still it would be it would it wouldn't be it's not a very long career and i definitely felt and i still do that i would i would be hard pressed to make a lifestyle that i really wanted to live mm-hmm. um the, the other thing about acting was i get to dance for a lot of my acting mm-hmm. my dancing has gotten me hired for a ton of work um and it's just one of those things that i love acting because it's the only thing I've been I've been able to find that allows me to encompass everything I do. Mm-hmm. I went to an audition to as a pole vaulter. <laughs> I never thought I'd use my pole vaulting in a professional field. Yeah. But they're like, we need a pole vaulter. I'm like, okay. So <clears throat> acting has been the only place that I can really flex all of my muscles and everything I do. Yeah. You know, like I said, I went out for pole, for a pole vaulting commercial. I never thought I'd get to use that. And I do so many other, you know, little, big, whatever endeavors that most people don't. And right. did I go through, did I go through my list? I know you enjoy this. Nope. Go for it. So uh, growing up, I did soccer, baseball, then got into dancing, wrestling, martial arts, which I've been doing for 20 years, as we mentioned, um, horseback riding, archery, search and rescue. I've got my fire. I a little Japanese, surfing, uh, swimming, um, a little bit of diving, lots, I mean, plenty of ballroom that I could pick up, no problem. Um, uh, shooting, motorcycle riding, I can drive pretty much anything. Um, 
Now, I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> but again, it's like what uh, you were saying about Jocelyn, that you have a number of tools in your box that you can sharpen and refine. And you're, the bigger your, the more, not the bigger your toolbox, because you just have a lot of tools and just not know how to use them. But the, like you have a breadth of talent in your yeah. box that you can pull from. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome because you, from there you've done, you've made appearances house, uh, Grey's anatomy, yeah. you Jersey boys, the movie Ted to the movie as dancer uh, commercials, Jack in the box, old Navy Nissan mm-hmm. uh, Gordman's. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, with all of that, I mean, dancing has definitely been one of the most tapped resources I have. Um, but truthfully, and, and what I've been learning, especially recently, to simplify it for everyone, what I feel like I've been able to cultivate by doing all of these different things is create this, this collective of confidently competent. Mm-hmm that I've done so many things. I've gotten good enough. I've gotten great at so many things that it almost, it does not matter what you put in front of me. I'm willing to say yes, or at the very least, I'll figure it out and make it work. I'll try it. Yeah. Um, And it it really, it really came true when I did, um, what was it? It was a YouTube series. um, uh, Escape the night. And Mm -hmm. I, I played the dark night in one of the episodes. And the audition, you know, we went back and the, the, the director of the series was helping cast it. And he kept asking everybody, he's like, can you rear a horse? Can you rear a horse? And I'd, I'd never done that before. I'm a pretty good horseback rider. I can, I can saddle my own horse. I only ride Western. Um, but I feel very comfortable around a horse. I can, I can run it at any speed. It doesn't matter. I'm comfortable on a horse. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how, I don't know how to rear a horse. I had an idea that it really had not, not much to do with the rider. Mm-hmm. But I, I came later to find that they hired me because in the audition, he kept asking everybody, can you rear a horse? And every single person, either they either said no or most of them said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I could. I'm sure we could figure it out. He was like, okay. He asked me and I went, yes, next question. <laughs> and I just, I just looked at him and he goes, oh, okay, great. And he told me, he told me afterwards, like, you were the only person that flat out said yes. And truth be told, for those that don't know, when you rear a horse, it's not natural for a horse to rear. They, they do it out of a very, very fearful, uh, sympathetic response to something that scares them. Mm. And they have to be specially trained. Not all horses that go through TV and film can rear. They have to be very specially trained and they don't like to do it very often. And so when I got out there on set and we were shooting it, the trainer simply said, have you ever done this before? I went, no, but I'm okay. He goes, all right, just hang on. I went, okay. And he, he had some whips. He makes the horse rear. He tells the horse what to do. I literally just kind of move like that. So the horse doesn't buck me off. That's it. Anyone can do it. But it was simply that competently or confidently competent attitude Mm -hmm. that allowed me to just go, yeah, let's do it. Knowing that whatever they put in front of me, if, if I can't do it, it likely can't work out and mm-hmm. we should adjust accordingly. Yeah. That's a way there, to- there, there's very little that I, I encounter in my life that I don't feel I would at least make a valiant effort with. Mm-hmm. 
It's uh, yeah, try it. There's one of two things going to happen. Either it's going to happen or it's not. You know, it's, yeah. that's not that's not saying put yourself in dangerous situations, but it's also as I always say, never sell yourself short. You don't know what you're capable yeah. of. If if you're competent, that's keyword. You have to be competent. <laughs> yes, <laughs> constantly competent. You can't yeah. just be confident. You can't just be competent. You have to have them both together. Right. Because that allows that allows you to be able to assess and and grade any situation more appropriately and give yourself the understanding of what you need to do to be successful with that. And uh, a really good example of that is when a lot of people haven't ridden a motorcycle before and they're like, oh, it should be easy. But the what happens is if the bike bucks or something happened, it's the fear that takes over and they don't know what to do. So yeah. again, it's not great. You can be confident, but if you're not competent of how to adjust in a situation or you can be competent of, oh, I understand the mechanisms of riding a bike, but if you're not comp- if you're not uh, confident enough to actually sustain your competence, you're you're going to get yourself injured. So that's a yeah, I like that competently confident, confidently confident, confidently, confidently competent. competent. There you go. Yeah. What has been your favorite project, acting wise, so far? Ooh. Um, my favorite, my favorite project. I mean, my favorite commercial was the Ready Whip commercial. Mm-hmm. Mainly oh, because. Stop there. stop there. Let's talk about that for a second, because you actually became, <laughs> I meant, I mentioned this in the intro. We talked about this in the intro. You became a BuzzFeed buzz. From your yeah. appearance in Hairspray Live in 2016, was that? Uh, yes. Which is funny because I did Hairspray right before that. Opening, <laughs> so yeah. weird. Like somehow right. we always end up doing similar shit. But yeah, right. This dude was again talking about their no small parts. He stole the show from being the milkman, and people are like, who the hell is that hot milkman guy? Yeah. Right. I think I think um, I will post that uh, BuzzFeed link and the Instagram yeah, as right. the feature. Yeah, I love I, that came up uh, a little while. Somebody reposted that uh, from a memory um, this last year. I forget exactly when, and uh, I did it again, and it got a, a it, it did another round. And it got a bunch of hits again, which is funny to me. But uh, yeah, the I, I got to be the Ready Whip Milkman for the Hairspray Live for their commercial. Um, and I did a little cameo at the beginning of the movie. Uh, that was, that was a lot of fun. It was a movie. It was a TV, um, it was a TV live performance. Well, yeah, that's okay. It was a, yeah, yeah, you're right. It was, it was all done live. Um, but I, w- what I liked about doing the commercial the best was that I, it, it, not that it was only all about me, but that I got to, I got to really be myself and integrate my thoughts and feelings with the commercial. You know, they obviously had everything they wanted to shoot. They had a very specific choreography they needed to hit. Mm-hmm. But at multiple times, the director came up to me. He's like, how do you feel? You want to do anything else? Come look at it. You know, let me know what you think. And there were a couple of times I was like, all right, let me tighten that up. Let me get that over for you a little bit. Let's shoot one more time. And they're like, oh, okay, great. And so we, we I think we did like 27 takes that day of just that 
which because it, it's all one take right um and there were a couple of times the camera guy tripped over something and we had to start over you know and i i missed a line or something like that you know, silly little things that's just like all right I set up back to one let's do it again um but it, it was a lot of fun it got a lot of great publicity um and it was it was fun to be able to incorporate all my dancing in it again mm-hmm. and one you know again there was there was one that big jump where i had my arms out my leg kicked out in front of me that that was what booked me the job that and me being able to get the words right <laughs> <laughs> and you're not a bad there, looker, I, actually yeah yeah that's yeah. <laughs> I, I remember there was in, in the in the verbal audition they had part of the line was it may not be on my typical route but it is part of my routine and they wanted that root routine to be the same um, vernacular of it. Mm-hmm. And people kept people kept coming in and going. It may not be on my my typical route, but it is part of my routine. And they weren't matching it. And I yeah. looked at the casting director and went, well, "Yeah, that's obvious." <laughs> and he goes, "You'd be surprised." But I'm um, I'm glad I'm actually glad that that's the one that you decided was your favorite because it goes right into what we just talked about of there are no small parts. That part yeah. became such more of an integrated, even though Ready With was an advertiser for it, but it still became a feature part because yeah. you were able to play it so well. Yeah, uh, we, we it really yeah it it, it blew up in, in a very interesting way. Um, my my friend uh was living was at her place one time and i knew i'd made it at least to some extent because she called me uh the next day and apparently there were some people next door to her playing mary fuck kill mm-hmm. and they they all married the ready with milkman <laughs> and i was like you know what i'm okay with that <laughs> All right, so now we are, we just finished the national US tour of the musical Frozen as the reindeer yes. spin. And now we're in yeah. Singapore doing the Australian leg of the national international tour. Yeah, Something like so that. I, yeah. I asked them, uh, they, they don't consider this the Australian leg. The Australian leg is done, and it's just the Australian company with a couple from the London company and the American company to come do the show, the international show in Singapore. I went, so it's the, the all-star cast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do we, how do we get into physical theater playing a reindeer? Because uh, if you, if you haven't musical seen the musical Frozen, if you haven't seen the, if you haven't seen the musical Frozen, it's actually a really great, uh, performance and technical performance with like how it's done and then evan and another guy there are two people playing sven and they're walking separately uh, no no separately yes yeah yeah because that's a big confusion people think there's two there's two people in the costume working it simultaneously and that's not the case it's one person in the costume at a time we just alternate which shows we do because it's supposed to be physically demanding, but for this yeah, mental freak here, he's like, no, it's fine for me. But there, but it's it's a lot of physical work. So, musical theater, you said, got you into that. Explain how, when, where, what, what's the progression? Oh, I, I've done a little bit of theater here and there. I, you know, I did Zoot Suit at the Mark Taper, which was yep. amazing. Um, I did, I did, um, 
oh, what was that? What was that show? Um, I played Charlie at the Freud Theater. Um, Sweet Charity. There it is. Um, which my mom was really excited about because that was one of the few shows she did when she was in college. So oh, she, was, nice. she was very excited to do that show. Um, so, you know, I, I did a little bit of theater. I had auditioned for, I, I got very close to getting uh, the lead in American in Paris I remember a that. couple years before. Yeah, very close. Um, and it was so funny to me. I love this story because I, I'd only been singing for about two and a half years at the time of that audition. And they came back and said, your, your acting is great. Your singing is even better. Your dancing needs work. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But, okay. Because the hardest thing is a single, is a, is a single coupe jeté. A single, not a menage. It's a single coupe jeté and a single tour. That was what I was told was the hardest thing in the show. And I'm like, Yeah. I've been doing ba- at that time, I was like, I've been doing ballet for like over 20 years. I can do it. <laughs> and so when they said that, I was like, I understand. I, you know, it's not a problem. You got somebody else you want to go with. It's perfectly fine. And I, I, I took it as a very humbling compliment that they had to say something. So they said that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But dude, like, my singing is better than my acting, which is better than my dancing. I think we've got, I yeah. think you've got me confused with someone else. I, well, I was like, you think my singing's great? Right? Where do I sign? No, we're not hiring you. Oh, why not? <laughs> anyway, um, so I, I, I gotten to, you know, I've, I've auditioned for Telsey because of that. I started looking into musical theater a little bit more. Mm-hmm. What held me back originally was that I just, I did not sing very well. I really couldn't sing. Um, I, oh, I did Tarzan uh, with 3D theatricals down in Anaheim. That was, that was a nice little introduction into it all. So I, I started getting into musical theater and whatnot. And um, my friend, Andrew Perosi, who originated Sven on Broadway mm-hmm. uh, was doing it. And so when Telsey came out, and said they were going to have LA auditions for the U.S. Uh, Frozen tour. I said, "Great, I'd love to come look." And I, I put my I put my name in to be either Hans or Sven. And looking back on it, I know I understand now. But at the beginning, I was like, "I want to be Hans or Sven." Uh, and they're like, "Yeah, go go for Sven." I was like, "Or Hans." And they're like, "Go for Sven." I was like, "Or oh, <laughs> Hans." I could do Hans. The, the truth of it, they had already cast Hans. They just couldn't tell anybody about it yet. So I was like, all right, I'll go for Sven. <laughs> uh, so that that was a very interesting audition because I went I went through the normal ensemble audition. We danced, we partnered, we sang, and then we danced again. I think that was the order. doesn't matter. Um, and the entire time, I'm completely relaxed because I'm like, they're not looking at me for ensemble. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested in doing ensemble. If I'm going to do this, I want to I want to go in for a little bit bigger role. Um, excuse me, bigger paycheck. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) And they, 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 you know, that was in February. They called me in March and they said, Hey, we want you to come fly to New York and come audition for Sven. And I went, I can't this week. I just signed three separate contracts on different days for that week doing three different shows. And I'm like, there's no way I can do like I yeah. signed contract Saturday morning. They called me Saturday night. And I'm like, I, I can't, I cannot do that. 
yeah. can't give up contracts in hand, even though I have such a good interest and, and truthfully pretty good understanding that I'm going to get this role. Yeah. Can't do it. And so I sent him, I told him that I'm like, I just can't make it out. And I felt really bad. And so I emailed them and I said, Hey, I'm really bummed. You know, this one, this isn't what I was expecting to happen. I'm, you know, I was hoping to come in for this. And I just want you to know that I, I never, I didn't do maliciously. And I, I hope our relationship isn't tarnished in any way. Mm. And they wrote back and said, actually, we didn't find anybody we like enough. What are you doing in April? I'm like, well, I'm flying to New York. What are you doing? <laughs> so they, they gave me a little bit more heads up than 24 hours this time. And I, I flew out for less for like 23 hours. I flew out on a Monday, did the audition and came home. And they were like, you're great. Well, why are you for this? Nice. And it was it was actually really neat because for the audition they put us in the the front and back stilts and put the head on us, and they're like, "All right, start moving around." And they had they had like three different directors there, casting choreographer and puppet master, like mm-hmm. six or seven different people there. Um, and Lorenzo, um, who's the puppet master who's been doing circus stuff since he was like two years old. His parents are both in the circus. Phenomenal guy. Um, he, he, he can tell within 10 seconds who can do what and what, what he needs them to do. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny because you'll laugh at this gamble. I did, you know, I walked around a little bit and they're like, all right, all right. Yeah, that's, that's fine. You can get out now. And I'm, no, I'm good. I'm having fun. And they're like, what? Yeah. No, you can get out now. I'm like, can I try running? They're like, no, get out. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> I was like, I want to keep going. <laughs> and not, you know, I'm not not to brag or toot my own horn about it, but I, especially because of Marie's work, mm-hmm. doing the cage and stuff, I I have a much more adapted understanding of being on all fours and having that elevation again. Back to the confidently competent. Mm-hmm. I I I I've done stilts. I've done work on all fours. Putting that together in my mind for myself is not a big problem. Right. So I just did that and I went, oh yeah, this makes sense. Okay, yeah. cool. And I'd, I'd gotten, I'd actually gotten a little bit of understanding from helping uh, do workshop the Frozen show at, at Disney Anaheim. Mm-hmm. So just knowing like how the puppet should move, I was able to show show just a little bit of understanding with that. And they're like, oh, okay, there's potential there. Great. Yeah, you. As I said, he's the yin to my yang, his the upper body to my lower body. When I did a show recently in Stockholm, uh, they wrote uh, before we started production, like, "Hey, does anybody want to do stilts?" And I was like, "It depends on how much work it is and how much extra you're paying me to do it." <laughs> but, then, but then when we got there, I was pretty much the highest level of underst- uh, body understanding movement understanding within the body so uh there were three or four of us they're like we want to try you guys out and we start and we put the we put the stilts on and i just start going and they're like you've done this before i'm like no like wait what like my best friend does stilts i've been his assistant when he's walking in stilts for four hours i've helped put him on it i know how to strap it to the legs i have an understanding of my body it's a balance thing it's a shift of like i get it and they're just like can you help the others? 
<laughs> so I ended, so I ended up I, I sent you the video I ended up being the stilt coach but it's because again that yeah. completely competent like I know my body so very well and I've seen you and not that's because I've seen you do it but I have the understanding of the mecha the mechanism of it so yeah. being competently competent it was there it was easy yeah. for me. So to add on to that, and just like the the, the, the you know psychological understanding of, of everything, because I, again I've done so many various activities mm -hmm. and looked at different things, it everything breaks down to vocabulary. Yeah. That even though you know Sven is an example, that is not a normal body position. It's mm -hmm. it's kind of a plank, kind of a bear. A lot of people think our operation is in our core, and we must have this like ridiculously strong core and truth be told i feel like i've lost a lot of my core because <laughs> it's not it's it's actually in the shoulders and in the chest mm -hmm. because you're constantly pulling yourself forward and then i've got six different straps wrapping around my stomach my abs aren't doing very much at all so i've actually atrophied a little bit because of this show um my back's gotten bigger but it's mostly in my shoulders my my you know my back around my scapula and my yeah. chest um, but you know, our, our hands are here, but straight down Yeah. and the human body is not designed to operate in that sense. And so most people look at that and go, that's insane. I could never do that. I'm like, well, it's not like you're trying to bend your elbow the wrong direction. Mm. Our body is capable of making these movements. So if you can, if you can imagine yourself doing this, you can imagine yourself doing it this way. I know you can't really see too well, but just take that operation and adjust where the gravity is pulling you and figure out how to then counter that. Um, it's, it's one of the sayings I love as an actor. And unfortunately, I feel like a lot of people, a lot less people are understanding as, as, I, as I grow older. But the idea that if you can kill a fly, you can play Othello. And for those that don't know, Othello is is um, uh, one of the one of the most feared characters in in play and um, that romantic field. And and he kills his wife Desdemona. And a lot of people that get into that character look at it head on and go, oh, "How do you get there? How do you get to somewhere that you kill the love of your life, your wife, your soulmate, your partner?" How do you kill that person? And where this plays in is that it, can you kill a fly? Yeah, I can. You know, I can squash mm -hmm. a fly, no problem. All right, expand that a little bit and keep blowing the embers in that and keep mm -hmm. expanding it until you get to a bigger thing, and then you can get to the wife. You don't go zero to a hundred. Right. Take baby steps, and you finally get there. Well, the same thing. That's exactly what competently competent is is that you do all those steps in your head until you get to where you need to be. And you go, okay, I've done this, and it's a fraction of what it is, and I've done this, and it's a fraction of what it is, and I've done this, and I combine all that together, and I go, oh, that's what it is. Mm -hmm. Great. I can do that because I've done all these other little things. I think part of the issue is so many, not even performers, mm -hmm. but humans, we, we approach life as this is what I need to do. We don't give ourselves the time or the space to develop into the process that needs to happen. It's, well, you want me to do this? I'm going to do it. 
And it's like, wait, hold, hold on, dude. Like allow yourself to uh, allow the equation to happen. It's sort, it's sort of like I was talking with uh, my friend, Kevin, about the U.S. education system of how it literally just drills systems and equations into your head. You don't really learn so that we then go into remembering equations and we don't know the process. Like if I could in math, if I can get the answer, why does it matter how I got there? Like, like there's, there are 14 different ways of getting there. Does it work? It might not be the most efficient, but I can get there and then I'll, I'll end up working towards the most efficient way. And I think with acting and being a performer, we, we have to learn how to do that. We have to go, okay, this is my thought process of how I'm going to do it, but that might not be the best one. Let me reapproach it and get back to it that way. And ah, I can do it. If that makes any sense whatsoever. Well, yes. And you're touching on something that I, I really work very hard on maintaining in my life is the, the sense of what children naturally have. And it's this vulnerable curiosity. Yes. Then if they make a mistake, they don't kill themselves because of it. They go, oh, that didn't work. I'll try something else. I'll try it a different way. And as we grow up, we lose that sense for whether it's a social normality or we're mm-hmm. being, you know, we're being teased or whatever. Whatever the reasoning is, it doesn't matter. We lose it. Yeah. And we, we, we forget what it's like to be curious about things in that way. And if we don't know right away, we go, that's ah, not important. I don't want to yeah. deal with it. And in fact, you know, anybody that's interested in getting into acting, that's one of the biggest things I try to promote is that if I'm going through a script or reading over something and I come across a word and I think I know what it is or I don't know what it is, um, especially if I think I know, I go, I better double check and mm-hmm. I'll go look it up. Yeah. And m- more often than not, nine times out of 10, there's a second or third or fourth definition of that word that I go, huh, I didn't know that. And I'm able to apply it even better. Yep. And Again, it's something I always try to promote that it's like, it's okay to be wrong. Keep asking why, keep questioning what it is and keep figuring it out for yourself. Cause there is always somebody that knows something you don't mm-hmm. forever. Yep. And, and if you, if you don't meet anybody, you need to start meeting different people, meet more people, travel, go somewhere else, because that just simply means you've tapped the resources in this, in this simple, simple pool that you have. Oh, so keep expanding. There it is. <laughs> Life Lessons with Gamble and Evan. <laughs> That's a great title of a show. I like that. We have a lot of those that we can go through. Every Thursday, we'll have a segment of videos that just say, don't fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let me do this, me, Evan. And I go, it's really that simple. Fuck up, Gamble. I yeah. fucked up. <laughs> it's really that simple. And, it, and it'll be, it'll be, the, it'll be uh, like spinning zoom of your face. We're doing... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My faces, yeah. My non-poker face faces, yeah. <laughs> I'm working on it. Hey, they they work. People people know when I make them. It's like ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what's next for Mr. Evan Strand? Um, I'm so you know in line with just me always being an overachiever, uh, a neurotic overachiever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am, I am currently in a bachelor's program to get a, a business a degree in business administration. Um, so I'll, I'll come home. I, I'll be done with that in early September. Um, I'm going to, you know, when I, when I get home, I want to get back into my boxing classes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a bunch of furniture that I need to finish reupholstering. Um, oh, yeah, the furniture I, reupholstery, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I you know, I, I, I do it on a very small scale, but I've, I've been successful. I've sold several pieces and done a couple of commissions and been very successful with it. I'm surprised how much people need upholstery done. Hold on. I just, did I see somewhere that you and Rafferty were on a TV show as like yes. workers fix? What? Explain that. <laughs> yeah. So oddly enough, Mike, Michael Rafferty, my buddy Michael Rafferty got, got a job. So he knows a couple of guys who knows the producer of one of the producers of the TV show, The Home Edit. Mm-hmm. And it came down the line. They needed a handyman. And so long story short, they found Mike, they hired Mike and they, they hired another guy that was okay. He did, he knew, you know, he was a handyman. He did his stuff and Mike put the feeler out there off, off topic. and was just like, Hey, if you guys ever need anybody else for whatever reason, I got a guy that's pretty capable. He's pretty confidently competent. <laughs> and, and one of the, one of the episodes, the other guy couldn't make it. So they're like, Mike, call your friend. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. You're getting me on a TV show, not the other way around. Works for me. Um, so they called me in, and Mike showed. You know, I went over to Mike's the, the night before, and he showed me a couple of things, and we just got to it, and we we did a whole room renovation with just the two of us, and it was a ton of fun. And they they wanted us to do about twelve hours of work in about three hours time. Um, Welcome to reality TV. I'm going, yeah. Mike's like, it's just not possible. We we need more time than that. I mean, we're going, we're we're working like crazy, but we need more time than that. Uh, And what was fun was they ended up hiring me independently a couple other times after that. And Mike thought it was the funniest thing that they were hiring me over the original first guy. (laughs) Mainly because I'm not a handyman. I'm, I'm handy and I'm a man, but. But you give good TV. I give good TV. <laughs> it's that it's that link. I yeah. get you. <laughs> so what's next for Mr. Evan Strand? Uh, bachelor degree in business administration plus creating businesses. So he's going to be a yeah. multi-level entrepreneur. Got it. Yep. So doing, doing my furniture. Mike and I are going to start doing wedding arches. Um, nice. And then, you know, still auditioning. Uh, I just, I just did my third audition in the last two weeks here in Singapore, sending that in, uh, and, and really going after TV and film. Um, that's really where I like, that's my bread and butter. That's where I like to sit and, and work the most. I just love the way TV and film operates. Um, if I had to pick between the two, I'd probably say film, mm-hmm. but yeah, that's, that's it. You know, just keep grinding. Keep keep working on my skills. Um, get back into my. I keep saying I want to get back into my singing a little bit, but definitely practice singing a little bit more. Mm. Um, get back playing, tinkering on the piano a little bit here and there, and just just doing the thing. Nice. Staying staying busy, staying healthy. All right, all right. And one last thing before we go, special segment. Last name is Gamble. Always play around on that. I bought a roulette table filled with 16, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you would like this, filled with 16 yeah. shot glasses. Uh, each shot glass is numbered and represents uh, a question off of a list. We spin the wheel. We ask a question. You answer it. You game? Terrified, but yes. <laughs> okay. Ready? 
Yes. Here we go. Round and round and round it goes. Where stop? Nobody knows. Number 33. <laughs> there you go. Um, I need to update these. It's been two years now. <laughs> <laughs> Artist or job you would never work with again? Ooh. And if you can't think of one, um, we can do another one. Hmm. I mean, there's plenty, but I don't know if I want to really go down that path. Love and life to everybody. <laughs> I plead the fifth. All right. Yeah. Now, I mean, I mean, yeah, there's <clears> – <throat> look, we'll, we'll do another one, but I'll just say this. Especially in this industry, in any industry, you're going to meet people you don't like. You're going to meet people you don't get along with. you got to work with them sometimes. And other times, you just hope you never run into them again. And it's just what it is. And part of it, especially being an actor – um, there's there's a big thing. A lot of people will think actors can be very hoity-toity, and, and yeah, sure, sometimes they can be. Um, but at least I and, and I encourage everyone that wants to go into this field or, or any other, just be kind to everybody. Be as humble as possible because everyone. It doesn't matter if you're working hard or you think you're the hardest worker there. Everyone is putting their all in. Nobody shows up to a job that means anything to them. And just half asses it. And especially in the acting industry, nobody, nobody that half asses things is going to last very long because people see it and nobody wants it. So they're going to get rid of people very quickly in that sense. So just go in knowing everybody's working hard, knowing that when, when tensions get high, you're not the only one. Everybody's working on it. So if you can stay positive and you can bring everything back down, it's not only going to relieve everybody else, it's going to bring that pressure and help cool it off. And allow people, especially as the talent, allow people to go, okay, no matter how frustrated everybody's getting, we're still going to get the work done that we need to get done. And, and then, that's, you know. And another layer to that, another layer to that is, there are, this is really going back to what we said, there are no small people. Every, every person that you are working with, whether they are a freaking custodian, whether they are lighting, whether they are production assistant, this hierarchy that we have of importance on a job that you to get your job done, you never have to belittle any person. The more you can make someone yeah. feel as important as you feel yourself, chances are the more stuff they're going to do for you to make your life easier. Otherwise, they're going to make your life a living hell to do everything they can to not sabotage you, but like you want to be a dickhead? Oh, watch this. I, 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 a friend of mine told me about a show and I'll make this quick. Um, this woman was just terrible. She treated everybody very poorly and wanted to you know, she's like, you have to pay attention to me and I'm right. You're wrong and do it my way or else. Mm -hmm. And she had this big speech in front of a huge group of people. And she pissed the lighting crew off so bad that the, they added a green tint to the spotlight. And for all those that aren't lighting, anything that highlights green looks evil. And she looked demented and nobody could figure out why. And the entire lighting crew was laughing their asses off because she was such a bitch and they didn't care. And it's one of those things that you piss enough people off, they'll get away with shit like that because the people in charge of, of saying that's right or wrong won't care that they're doing it either. And you're at the end of the day, you're only hurting yourself. I'm actually content with the answer that you just gave. I don't think we need to do another one. I think that was <laughs> beautiful. I think that was a great wrap to that question okay. of who you never work with again and or what that's, I like that one. I don't, unless you want to do another one, I I'm, I'm happy with that one.
I'll sit here and go through the whole list with you, Gamble. No, <laughs> I know you would. Uh, <laughs> so if people want to find out, if people want to follow the Ready Whip guy, where can they find him? <laughs> we have to be careful. So I, I changed my Twitter name to the Ready Whip guy when that happened. And I got, I got a letter in about half an hour from my manager saying, you got to change it. You can't do that. We didn't get a sign. We didn't get assigned to that. We're not getting paid for this. You can't do that. Ready with already reached out. They don't want you to do that. We, we got to change. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. I got to I got to got to go through the proper channels for that. OK, so if people but, if people want to find out more about Evan Strand, who was the guy that was on BuzzFeed as the Ready Whip guy? <laughs> where can they find you? So I, I, I do. I have my website, EvanStrand.com, just EvanStrand.com. Um, and my Instagram, which I don't post too much, but I'll, I'll throw stuff up there now and then, which is Evan period strand. Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you have, like, I, a, do you have like a shit talk or anything? That's what I call TikTok. Oh, no, no, I'm, no, I'm not. Uh, exactly. No, <laughs> I'm not 13. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we have website evanstrand.com we have twitter uh twitter we have instagram which is evan.strand uh and yeah, if you're not do- what's that at evan.strand yeah at evan.strand and if you're not doing already make sure you're following at gamble's green room on instagram uh, to stay up to date of all of my guests and behind the scenes of what they're doing and look into what they're doing and behind the footage of these of these conversations uh that is all I have for dude. I miss you, bud. Yeah, miss you too, G. It's thirteen. And a half. We're coming up on fourteen years, which means I've been in Sweden for almost fourteen years. Bananas. Yeah, it'll be fourteen years this month, or no, next month. April. April ninth. April ninth. I will. I again. I will never forget that effing audition. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that date is seared yep. in my head because of that audition. Yeah, <laughs> yep. and then we actually have to plan our next uh, our next world expedition. Yeah, what was on the? We we've both done Greece. You've gone to Scotland now. I still haven't been to Scotland. Italy, Germany, Germany yeah. France. But I forget what was on. We had yeah. like we were going to do this South America, but. Columbia. Ah, Yeah. That's what we have to do. Yes. We shall make it happen. Boom. Enjoy the Singaporean non wildlife city scape. I'll do what I can. Uh, enjoy the fantasticness on stage. You've got what, another three weeks left? Uh, two and a half. Two and but a half. yeah. 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 Aces. Three three more shows this week and then two more weeks. Nice. Wicked. Enjoy, my man, and let's No. No, not not wicked, frozen. <laughs> <Sound fast>. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, dude. <laughs> Good to see you, Gamble. Take care.